Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Joining us now is Florida State General Manager Derek Ray. Derek, good morning, good almost afternoon. Depends on when people are going to listen to this. Uh, it probably doesn't really matter what time of day it is as far as they're listening, but hopefully you're doing well here. Uh, I know the, the summer has been pretty busy for you. Um, how, how are you feeling with, uh, with June season uh, in the rearview mirror now? Yeah, Brendan, thanks for having me on. Um, obviously, been around Coach Norvell, it's always good morning, and no matter the time of day. So good morning. Loud, loudly, usually. Loud. Um, you know, feeling good, uh, proud of, proud of the group and the effort that, um, we kind of put forth and over as across camps and official visits and unofficial visits and everything in between. And, you know, some adversity that hit with the, with a couple storms rolling through during some different camps, um, you know, but excited for the, the effort and the work that took place, but also moving forward and looking towards the future and what's currently present right now with our current team. You know, I, I don't think we've talked about it uh, on, on our podcast, but that last day of really the last day of camps with there's supposed to be the seven on seven the big man camp. You guys got rained out like a like a massive storm popped out of nowhere and just hovered over Tallahassee for like two hours. It was crazy. Uh, you guys adjusted and you adapted. I know Coach Norvell's always big on response, right? Uh, like what was the strategy of like, OK, how do we how do we make this somewhat salvageable now to get this a productive day because from my vantage point maybe you can explain it to our listeners like what you guys did but it was really cool to see the adaptation like in in real time yeah Uh, you know obviously we had 40 plus teams up here and you know you want to create that experience and you know just obviously it's not ideal for anyone uh, of kind of what took place and being rained out and having various teams that drove you know some good distances to be a part of it but you know how can we make it the the best option possible. And so, you know, coach and I getting together, always having certain certain contingencies in play in place, you know, and I think any good leader does that, right. You always want to plan for a, B and C in the back of your mind. So instead of being reactive, you're being proactive and you know what the next move is going to be. I kind of compare it basically like you're always in a batter's box, right. And so you might be looking fastball, but if a curveball is thrown in the zone and every count changes that and everything in between. So having, just kind of those plans in place and knowing like, okay, if we do get rained out, this is going to be our plan. We have the lightning plan and, you know, we have, if it's going to be just a delay or if it's going to be a cancellation. Okay. And, you know, our staff rose to the rose to the occasion in that sense, because everyone was all hands on deck to make sure everyone had a good experience walking through the building, touring our facilities. And, you know, I think we had, you know, 44 plus teams that walked through here um, and, and more in the span of about, you know, two and a half hours and different pictures, different fields, videos and weight room, getting around our own team, getting around our locker room and the other facilities. There's a lot of moving pieces with that, but you know, there, you can never panic, I guess. And at the end of the day, as long as there's no panic and operate with what's in front of you and the information that's at hand, make the best decision and give the best effort possible. 
yeah, it, it was it was really cool to see you guys turn something that could have been a, a loss and turn it into a win and find a way to salvage it. Um, and I think that's a uh, that's credit to you, to Coach Norvell, to the entire staff to like bring that kind of energy and make it like a, a fun experience for players and coaches who, who might have been disappointed. You you mentioned Derek, uh, you had a baseball reference in there. You're from Northern California, Northern California, A's fan, correct? Oakland A's. Yes, sir. Was Moneyball the book? I'm not, we don't have to talk about the movie because the movie wasn't as good as the book. Was was that at all influential or something that you enjoyed reading uh, back in the day? Uh, I, I mean, it's a good read. Uh, probably not one of my favorite reads, but you know, I do like I do like baseball. I like all sports. I, just the philosophy of roster building and seeing different ways to do it. And you know, I try to, especially over summer, I try to do a book a week. Uh, um, which during season that's a little bit harder to do depending upon the plane travels but you know it I try to just kind of adapt and it may go everywhere different from fiction to anything that's sports related or anything that may be just you know motivational military military stuff books um, but I do I did enjoy Moneyball as a book itself but you know I think the hardest thing when people compare Moneyball to football it's you know there's not a whole bunch of metric data out there to where you can be like baseball I think it's getting there, but I still think analytically speaking, everyone's still trying to look for what that next thing is besides of what the in-game situations are. Uh, but I think it's come a long way even in the past five years, analytics-wise. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I, I did want to get your thoughts on that. Like you, you started this career track about 10 years ago. And, and like in that time, how much like has the amount of, of data points that you obtain like on a day-to-day basis changed like from from say 10 years ago? Like how much more information are you operating with in the decisions that you make and that the staff makes and maybe like where you were a decade ago? Yeah, uh, there is a bunch more information out there. I think the internet has created that. And even as recruiting services have gone, you know, just when I first got into this, we were just, you know, DVDs were a thing to watch film on. Huddle was just kind of getting there. And, you know, now you have Huddle and you can, it's easy to make cut-ups on guys now and the film is readily available, but also the data points with the, you know, with, the combines that are in place and just getting that information to kind of make some more informed decisions. Everything is readily available there. And so I think now the main thing is that people have to be careful of is actually information overload. Right. Right. And so it's my job, kind of how I look at it and the people around me, and I'm blessed to have great people around me too, just to disseminate that information and find out what actually matters. Right. Cause each person is different. And I've talked about this before where each person is a thousand piece puzzle, but each little piece of information, whether it be something athletically related character related, maybe academically related, it all matters, right? And all tells a little bit more of the story just to help more of that informed decision. So you can limit some of the misses that may take place. You have like a, like a pie chart running in your head at any given time of like how to weigh those different things, academic, personal, uh, stats uh, on the field, film, like, do you, do you weigh these all similarly for the same players or is there kind of a sliding scale, I guess? It's a, it's a little bit of both. They all matter. It's case by case. Uh, scenario for each individual person, but I think one, they all help you better understand the individual, right? And how they're wired. That's what you're all trying to find out is how is the individual wired, right? Because athletically is one thing, make no mistake, we want to get the most talented player here at Florida State. But talent also only gets you so far if the individual is not wired correctly. And so at the end of the day, I want a person that's going to love football, but also be the best athlete that's available. Right. Because then that's when you have it all together. Right. If you have a team full of that, you're going to be cooking with everything you want. So, like, if, if you're taking, I guess, the personal aspect of it, like, 
I know you want to give away like company secrets here, but like how how are we weighing how the personal aspect of someone? Are you looking like at just the GPA? Are you talking to high school coaches? Are you uh, do you have like tests for them? I, I guess how is that information coming about? Yeah, I mean, I th- it depends on each person. It depends on the position. But I think one of the best way to test football intelligence, right? It might be something. Hey, you know, I was watching your film play twenty one. You know, when you were playing St. John Bosco, mm-hmm. talk me through what you saw here. And if he's able to recall that, you know, that situation, depending upon whatever it is, if it's a quarterback or if it's running back, hey, this was my assignment. This is the coverage they played. They rolled to this, right? They brought a little bit of pressure. We weren't hot. Okay, there's some basic understanding of football, right? And versus saying, hey, well, I got off the line and I just adjusted and uh, yeah, I did this, right? And so you can kind of dive into it a little bit more. And so each question has an, an opportunity for a response, but obviously an opportunity just to understand where that person may fall on that spectrum of just their football intelligence, but also, you know, how they are when we make those visits to schools, how are they are in the community, right? Very commonly, like when they're around coaching staff members, right, they're going to act maybe differently. And so how do they treat others that are in there? How do they treat the front desk worker? How do they treat the secretary? How do they treat the lunch lady, right? The more and more information you can gather to see how they actually are when they're not around necessarily a person of authority, right? You get a better understanding of who that person is. How did you, Derek, fall in love with like the evaluation part of football? You've, men- you've mentioned before like that, that you're a film junkie, but you also started off as, I know you had like ideas of, of maybe doing like on-field stuff too. So like at what point in your life did you say like, this is something that I'm really passionate about? And like, how did you end up becoming the, the self-described film junkie that, that you are today? Yeah, I just, I mean, I probably when I started breaking down film when I was a, when I was a student and, you know, some of those late nights in there, two, three, four in the morning, um, you know, at that time I was making zero money. It was a hundred percent volunteer basis, but, uh, you know, thankful just kind of for those opportunities and teaching me just the appreciation of the game. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, obviously it's no secret. You have better players. You're going to win more football games. Right. And so this is the first line of defense of all that. Um, so if I can just find a little bit of an edge, just to kind of watch and evaluate and compare and, you know, there is some method into it when you see it five years later and you're like, hey, OK, I got this one right or I got this one wrong because we're all going to miss. We're all going to get something wrong. Right. Gotcha. I would love to say sit here and say I'm 100 percent perfect. Like that's not the case. I've had my fair share of misses as well. And you will continue to do so. But any way you can go down and. I just love the process of what it is from start to finish, from cutting it up, from understanding, you know, what the movements are, what is going to be athletically diving into that individual, but also forming those relationships, too. You mentioned the movements. Wasn't that part of your background? Like you mastered in, was it, Ken, I'm not going to say correctly. Can you, Tennessee, I'll help me. Yeah, as a, as a sports administration, uh, my wife's an athletic trainer, so she's a lot smarter than me um, <laughs> in that sense. Uh, you know, but I did take some biomechanic courses just to understand the overall, you know, movements of that. And so I had in my idea, I wanted to be in sport. And so understanding that, like, how could I take classes even as an undergrad? why I majored in communication so I can take a couple different electives that I thought would form me in the best position possible. So this has been where where you're sitting today has been a very structured uh, thought out plan. Safe to say. Well, in the beginning there, there is a, you know, coaching being someone involved with sports. I think the first love, I wanted to be a PA announcer. Okay. Um, So just to be the guy in the stadium, you know, just going and announce starting lineups. And I thought that was like the best job in the world, but you know, uh, now I'm in the best job in the world. So I'm happy with that too. Can you do like announce the the starting quarterback for Florida State this year real quick? 
Uh, we'll probably do that offline. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you mentioned hits, misses in, in your career. And obviously you, you, you do it long enough period of time, you're going to have uh, misses, but where you've been before and where you're at now, there's been a lot of hits and a lot of like in-depth evaluations. I, I know it's probably going to be tough to pick one, but do you have like a favorite evaluation that you've had in, in your career? Like a guy that um, you guys worked out as a staff, like to, to find like a, a hidden gem or someone you had to stand up on the table for one that, that comes to mind right away, Derek. I mean, there's a few and I, you know, I don't want to necessarily mention names just to be like, to make it look being that, that person necessarily. But, you know, I think the biggest thing in it, in evaluation, when it gets there, it's never just about the individual. It's about collecting everyone's opinion who's around it too. And so if you do it correctly, you're coming to a consensus. So you might have seven different people. They might have seven different opinions, Sure. but those six other opinions might open doors to see it a different way and, you know, maybe find some common ground on it and make the best decision moving forward. So that's one thing I'm thankful for our staff here is I think we do do a phenomenal job at evaluating, but everyone checks the ego at the door to come to it and say, okay, I'm willing to listen to others' opinions too. And just to kind of see it the same way. And you might, you might see it the same way, especially with the way the film is available, the combine footage that's available. Uh, and then the different cutups that we're going to kind of present in that sense. Uh, but I think, you know, you do it long enough. Like I said, you're going to miss, you're going to have makes, you're going to have diamonds in the rough in those stories. Um, but I, I've been blessed to be around, you know, great people that have, you know, helped facilitate the process to find great players as well. Let's shift gears a little bit to roster building. And we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but like applying it to this Florida state team and, and the one that's currently been built. And honestly, I mean, you're always building, right? Like it's a day, a daily process of evaluating what you have, what's on the board. Uh, what's not on the board. I mean, it's, it's so thorough. You could probably write book and, and books uh, uh, on this topic, but like for you, Derek, like when you're just, I guess, layman's like terms, like when you're looking at an optimally balanced, efficient built college roster, like what, what does that look like to you in an ideal world? Yeah. You know, you obviously want to have some, uh, you want to have some balance across the class and balance across the side of the ball and balance across positions. Right. And so there's a certain blueprint that we have here. Um, that ideally we want to hit at certain numbers per each position at scholarship and walk-ons. Um, it's not always, you have to be okay with the ebbs and flows of what that's going to be. Cause you're not always going to be right at the blueprint. You're not always going to be, you might be minus one plus one, but I believe, you know, you want to be really three deep plus one at each position, right. As far as, and that's, if they're adding value, there's value on every single person on the roster from one to one twenty-five. So at the end of the day, when it comes to building that roster, if you can find someone who's going to increase the value of that, they need to be an ad, mm-hmm. right? And so because you're always constantly improving that that size of it and where that, where that person fits. So if that person comes in and slots and, hey, that's value number 84, like you need to think about taking that person too. Now, it's easier said than done because obviously you have some scholarship limitations and then you have some overall counters you have we'll see you know if the initials and the signees end up coming back um in december if if that ends up working but you know i think when you look at all of it you ideally want you obviously want to get the best player Mm -hmm. right the best player that's available but does that make sense at that current time based on their class based on what's needed and how does that affect you know your personnel discussions on either side of the ball like hey we have maybe two seniors at a certain position is it smart to add another senior? You know, that's because that's a harder conversation for that person. Okay. One of them's not going to play. Um, You know, we have four freshmen at one position, right? There's another freshman out there. Well, is it best to add a freshman or should we go look for another transfer? Um, 
you know, so those discussions are there, but at the end of the day, like talent and fit need to mat- make sure they match before you do add. How many times a year are you guys having that, or maybe even times a week, are you having that discussion about like the balancing act of, okay, do we need a senior here, a transfer here? Or do we need to go and, and add X amount of guys in this class as true freshmen to this position group? Like how, how often is that discussion happening? How often is that like evolving and changing? Yeah, I think between coach and I, I mean, it, it's fair to say, depending upon the time of year, it might be hourly. Uh, depending upon the time of year, it might be daily this time of year, you know, it weekly, bi-weekly, um, just seeing what's best available. And with the portal, obviously, especially now, like you don't know if, if someone goes in there as a grad transfer, right. You have to be willing to, you know, react, but in our minds, we know like, Hey, if there is a certain person at one position or two positions or three positions, like that came across that we like, like there could be a potential ad there, uh, depending upon how we felt about the fit, um, but it's always changing and you have to be constantly ready to adapt to it. Um, but also like, I think what gets lost in this, the most important part of this is roster retention, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's one thing to go out and get someone, you know, who might improve your roster, but if you've hit on someone that you've gotten out of high school or even a transfer, you want to make sure they, you retain them and they stay on your rosters. That's how the true development takes place. So you have them for three, four or five years. How did you guys, my personal opinion is like, I don't know if any, program in the country did as good of a job getting ahead of the curve of player retention as as florida state and that's covering the program closely but then also get an idea of like seeing what other schools are doing in the transfer portal and, and being able to look at things a little bit more nationally than i have in, in the past Derek. like how, how did you guys decide that that is important to us like did you look at there as being like a a market inefficiency or is that just this you know, it's important to keep a jared verse at, at, at home or it's important to keep a patrick payton that's something we keep developing. Like, is that just, was that, has that always been kind of an ethos for coach Norvell and yourself, or is that something you saw as like a potential chance to, to capitalize on that? Maybe other people weren't. Well, I think it starts, it starts and stops with coach Norvell, uh, you know, just his vision and what he's outlined for the program. But, you know, there's no use in, yeah, it's great to go recruit a great player and get him for a year, but if he's not going to be there for multiple years inside the program, that's a lot of wasted investment. And so it's one thing to say, hey, we've identified and we've hit on this person. But if they're not sticking around for a good duration of time, what did you put in that investment for? And so that's why I think that's the most important part uh, of the recruiting process, right? Because there is really, you know, when you look at it, there's four avenues of players, right? You have obviously your traditional player development, you have your high school recruiting, you have your junior college recruiting, and you have your transfer portal recruiting. But once you've identified and you've gotten that person in your program and you know they're going to be a player and everyone knows they're going to be a player, you better make sure that they stick on your roster for a while, for a while and for their duration of their career. Having a transfer portal player like who has multiple years of eligibility is something that Florida State has really capitalized on. Jamie Robinson, Fabian Lovett, Jared Verse. I mean, I go down a line here. Like, maybe can you explain to the public audience here of like how valuable it is to have someone in your program who you have a body of work understanding of what they've done at the college level to some extent, but then you don't have to worry about the, like the quick transfer out or something like that within a year. That, that to me, there just seems like this, this great little slice of like value that you guys have carved out over the last several years. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's no different than probably junior college recruiting as far as the transfer portal goes, right. If you get someone in the program for two, three or four, even four years, you know, it's, hey, if you're taking a transfer that has four years left, it's like taking a guy who just utilized a redshirt year, but maybe they do have some 
some body work from practice or whatever it may be. But I think when you look at it, each situation is different, you know, because it is a double edged sword. You know, if you end up missing on someone who has multiple years left, well, now they're stuck with you for multiple years, too. Uh, right. So you got That's why it's important through the evaluation process and the fit process to make sure that it's going to work. Uh, are you familiar? I imagine you are, but I want to ask, are you familiar with like Eagles GM, like Howie Roseman, like his, uh, his almost overinvestment as some people would say, like, I don't personally think so, but some say it's almost like an overinvestment in the trenches. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's interesting, you know, just kind of mocking and looking at what NFL salary cap distributions are in different teams and kind of ran through a study in the off season just to, to see where all those were. Um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to see how different people, you know, structure their teams, but there's one common theme out there. The offensive line and defensive line become the highest paid position groups there just because of what you need to have to win. Um, so I agree with his philosophy a hundred percent, because I do think it starts in the trenches. If you don't have a strong offensive line and defensive line, you're, you're going to struggle a little bit. So. Fair to assume then that like that was something that you guys valued this this past offseason with player retention, transfer portals, experience, but you got starters from power five level coming in. You have starters being retained uh, on both sides of the trenches, like fair to assume that that was something you guys valued. Yeah. And I think you look at the depth piece of it too, you know, and then, so you want to have depth at those positions and because, you know, the amount of times they're going to be in contact and in uncomfortable situations, if someone does go down, having that availability for someone to step right in and pick the flag up. And so where is next man up? Obviously, you don't hope for any injuries, but injuries are a part of the game and just to be, so you're not paper thin at certain position groups and that truly that too deep is too deep, you know, and I very excited of what our trenches have, have gone this year and what I've seen so far. Yeah. Just the eye test. Like it looks, it's amazing to see the amount of of 300 pounders walking around uh, the practice field. That's gotta, that's gotta feel good. I'm sure as a personnel guy. Let's see. All right. I have one more question on roster building. Uh, and then I have a few on OVs, Derek, and I'll let you get out of here. I know you're busy today, even, even though it is the off season. Um, are, are you looking, you mentioned looking at NFL teams and doing some studies of like how like salary is, is distributed. How often are you guys like looking at NFL teams or any other sports, any other avenues of like professional, like uh, athletics, whether it's, baseball, soccer, basketball, to get input on how to build a roster? Yeah, you know, you study it. Obviously, football is the easiest comparison method, but also understanding your own league and kind of what's going on around you, right? So the studies don't stop there, but, you know, hey, what's the makeup of, you know, teams in the ACC? What's the makeup of teams that are in our geographical footprint and seeing how they're doing? Who are they signing? What are the average heights and weights, and you know, that's getting signed from – that they're taking in the program? What are the kind of the metrics shifting as far as what is the average corner that's getting signed at the power five level? Hmm. Right. Cause everyone, and, you know, I think there's interesting things that you find. I think sometimes it fits in a box of what you think it is perception versus what it is reality um, of what it is. Cause everyone loves to compare, but you know, you can't argue with the data points of what that actually is. And so those studies do, do, uh, do matter and they do take a shift, but also understanding what you want for your program too, and how that's going to fit your scheme. When something doesn't fit into like the perception anecdotally, like how do you guys adapt? Like, is it a, a do you go back to the drawing board then and be like, okay, let, let's see what you know, we value in this position group or this, or I guess, what do you do when things don't go into the way you, you thought they would be for roster building? 
Yeah, I think it it, it depends on the situation. And, and what I mean by that, like scheme fit is more is more important than what everyone else is doing, right? So right. taking players that are going to fit what exactly what you want them to do, whether, you know, it's a defensive back. Okay, what is his flexibility to play safety corner? Can he play nickel? What is all? What are all those things look like? What are the measurements? What where does that fit? You know, and so sometimes like there has been a little bit of a shift. You know, everyone loves to compare. Not going to name the school, but everyone loves to compare the school and says, "Hey, they love to take big defensive backs." Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the last three years, it would tell you different based on what everyone believes that to be, to where they're actually taking a little bit smaller of a defensive back. And there's reasons for that, I believe, but. You know, I I think w- when you look into it, numbers tell a little bit of the story, but at the end of the day, you have to stay true to yourself and trust that process of what you want it to be as well. So transitioning here to some recruiting philosophy stuff, and we can't talk about specific recruits, obviously, uh, but I just want to get your your thoughts on like trends and, and some st- basic strategies here. Uh, I think it was Nick Saban who, who called like the three-visit rule or three-physical. If you get someone on campus three times, that's usually a pretty – good sign of, of where they're going. And uh, you guys have, have had an off season where you have like guys show up over the last year or two, um, but then mostly this year, like four or five, six times. I guess, what, what is the the ultimate goal in getting prospects on campus repeatedly? Yeah. I mean, th- there is a little bit of a sweet spot of how you want to get guys on campus. I believe it's more than three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we ran some some numbers based on our, our previous signing class. I won't give those away of what that sweet spot is, but knowing kind of analytically speaking of what, hey, this is what the average signee, the amount of times they came on campus, did they come for a game day, did they come for a camp and all of those things. So we have all that information just to kind of make the best decision because I think everyone loves to point out of why it worked. I'd rather look at why it didn't and just kind of see if there's, you know, anything that sticks out or are they outliers? You know, what is the necessarily the standard deviation of all of those things together just to see, you know, are there some trends, right? Is there some correlation in that sense of, mm-hmm. of knowing what 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 worked and maybe what didn't? Um, you know, because at the end of the day, right, we're it's still some salesmanship to this, right? But it has to be authentic. It has to be real. And that's the one thing our staff does a great job is painting that real picture when they're on campus. I know there's a ton of strategy into setting dates for uh, official visits, and some of it's based on a prospects calendar and what you guys can get, and other times it's about other factors. And that's, I guess I want to get your, your insight on here, Derek, is like how much thought and insight goes into like pairing certain recruits together on the same weekend or, or setting up a specific like date to say at the end of June or during in season, like how much strategy, how in depth is that really for you guys? Yeah. You know, it's case by case with each individual, right? Some, you know, the prospects calendar might dictate when they can come on an OV and there might be some strategy behind it of, you know, trying to get the last word into and being at the end when their decisions taking place, are they going to be a summer decision? Are they going to be a season decision? Are they going to be a December decision? Um, maybe location of where they're coming from. That's going to, you know, dictate necessarily where we want to, where we want to set that visit. Um, so it all depends. There's a couple different factors in there. Um, you know, but really you want to make sure that, whatever the experience is and whatever they can come, you know, how can you create the best experience that's going to fit them? Cause it needs to be individualized. It can't just be, Hey, they're here. They're part of the group of 10 and here you go. Like it has mm-hmm. to be catered and individual individualized till them. So you can evoke some of that emotion to make sure they understand when they're here, they can see themselves in Tallahassee at Florida state and Doak making plays. So something like anecdotally of like a bunch of guys from one region of the country coming in together, like over the same weekend, probably isn't a coincidence most times. 
Um, it, again, depends on each case. Sure. It depends sure. on each case. I think more times than not, sometimes those end up being to be coincidences more okay. than not. Um, but each individual is their own separate kind of hit, hit, hit items list. Interesting. Uh, mentioned calendar. I would take like more big picture, like look at the recruiting calendar that it's currently like that we're operating with. And, um, it's changed a lot in the last few years. I'm not sure what your thoughts are now, Derek. Like, did, are you guys comfortable with it? Does it need to potentially change again the way uh, now there's unlimited amount of official visits and we have you know, an early signing period that's pretty close to uh, the traditional signing period. Like, is there anything that you would like optimally from uh, not even a workflow standpoint, but just like a, a quality of, of life standpoint and a practicality standpoint like to see changed with that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with June and what June's turned into. Uh, I think when you look at the early signing period wrapped right next to the transfer portal and bowl prep and the contact period, I think that's the hot button topic that everyone's trying to fix, especially with what the new calendar rules are going to allow you to do as far as having, you know, contact with juniors um, during part of those contact periods. You know, I don't know what the answer or the solution is because the month of December, you know, became very challenging. Um, and our staff did a phenomenal job rising to that as well, but it's hard for everyone. So at least everyone's on the same level playing field, but, you know, getting ready for the bowl game last year, hitting the multiple States that our staff had to do and being back and forth, getting ready for bowl prep, getting ready for official visits while managing the transfer portal, while trying to sign and finish a high school class all in a span of about two and a half weeks. You know, there's a lot of things to fit in there. Uh, I don't necessarily know what the best solution is, um, I know there's been some, you know, people have thrown out ideas, hey, let them sign whenever they want, you know, add a early signing period in the month of September, add it maybe the end of November. You know, I think all are good options, but I think no matter what, you're still going to have people that are going to complain about it. And so the rules are the same for everyone. And as long as everyone stays on the level playing field, we'll adapt and, you know, give our best effort and put our best foot forward that we can. That's why there's a general manager to help manage it all, right? So yeah, you're only as good as the people you have around you. I will say that. So, <laughs> all right, this is uh, this has been fun, Derek. I appreciate it. We could do this for hours, and I'd still be learning stuff. I appreciate the time. I know my audience does as well. So, uh, thank you for for joining us today on on the bench. I appreciate it, Brendan. Thanks for having me, and uh, stay cool during this uh, little heat wave we got going. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.